Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 3 A Million Pieces when Hermione entered the preparatory courses of École de Flamel, informally Petit Pot, but never around the instructors, the other students were not shy to inform her that she did not belong there. It was bad enough to be muggle-born, to be Nemoldun, a word that made her think of mold, of something that grew in wet walls and on bad bread and made people sick. But at least she was not the only one. In fact, it was the only way in which Hermione was not alone, and it was not enough to help her. Hermione did not know French, which was hardly unusual among the students, but neither did she speak French or Basque or Italian or Sicilian or German or Dutch, and so she could only converse in her beginner's grasp of French. Fluent French speakers despised her mistakes, while those who were fresh resented her progress in the way she had a French instructor all to herself. Books sheltered her, because they did not berate her, did not scorn her, did not turn up their lip when she had to retreat to the dictionary. Of course, this meant to the others that she was asocial and that her exclusion was now the natural order, surely invited by her. This was given little notice by her professors, who anyway all had their own native speakers to teach and disfavored Hermione's strange English and halting French. And if this had been all, then perhaps it would have been tolerable. Hermione knew how to be alone among other children, and she knew how to find company with books. What she did not know was how to be a target— and they were not content to ignore Hermione after she admitted to missing Britain. If they didn't know it before, then they knew then, that she was foreign to them all, that she was a common enemy in their midst, not Belgian or Corsican or Catalonian, but British. She was roast beef, roast beef at lunch, then roast bête, a beast. When Hermione spoke, she was soufflerie, the bellows, and when Hermione was quiet, she was ancillaire, the islander. But whenever professors scolded them, they only meant, it was quickly clarified, that she was insular, inward-minded, the unsocial book-reader. And then she was Renard, the fox, whose sharp mind was ill-minded, whose cunning was viciousness, whose wit was violent. When they were feeling unoriginal, she was simply Anglais. Things always returned to this, not to Hermione's foreignness per se, for they were all of them alien to some of the others, but to the uniqueness of her particular foreignness. Hermione was non-French, non-Belgian, non-Portuguese, and above all, she was British, a Kemaltuit, a reborn Guinevere, as if she were personally responsible for Arthur's continental invasions, more than a thousand years old but still fresh in their bedtime tales. She was a good dame. Every English spiller of French blood from the fourteenth century to the fifteenth, and then some clever bully had an idea, and she was good damet, the little goddamn. There were times when she did not speak to another student for days at a stretch. Hermione's parents could comfort her with typewritten letters and on holiday breaks, but then they asked if she should withdraw, and she did, from them. The antagonism of her peers was unbearable, but the loss of her schooling was unthinkable. Minerva McGonagall, even after she took work at Beauvoir and became assistant professor McGonagall, was scarcely better, because she had no influence over the preparatory courses and one could only do so much from the sidelines with letters and brief visits and semi-annual outings. 1994 
When she was eleven, Hermione's parents took her to the castle of Mont-Saint-Denis. It was an empty and fire-scarred place, and had stubbornly resisted countless restoration attempts over the years, but that was no matter for witches and wizards. For seven hundred years, students from Normandy to Champagne had gathered here for their Beaumonton carriage, and they would surely do so for another seven centuries, no matter what the Muggles did. Hermione's family made an outing of it, and spends all morning exploring the grounds before a couple of the school's powder-blue carriages arrived, and Hermione said goodbye to her parents and little sister. Over two hundred students approached the Palace of Beaubaton for the first time alongside Hermione, and with her, marveled at the beauty of it all. The snow-capped Pyrenees and the rushing water of the school's crystal fountains, the greenery of the crawling gardens and the clucking white hens and crowing black roosters that strutted through the grounds with the pomp of peacocks. Of course, it would be unimaginable to put all the students in the same dormitory, so it was necessary to find some way to apportion them, and the most reasonable way to do so was by language. A dozen or so Catalanophones, another half-dozen Bascophones, even fifty Hispanophones, which was a little unwieldy but not beyond the management of the school. Hermione was aware, because Professor McGonagall had told her so, that the faculty had been debating the issue of her placement since before she arrived at De Flamel, and had only settled on placing her with the native Francophones because she was finally due to arrive. There were enough in that crown that she ought to find some friend, with the dominant reasoning, and anyway, at least she knew the language as well as any of the others now. It would have been like throwing her to the wolves to put Hermione in a crowd that could snipe at her from behind a language she hadn't spent four years studying. She was asked how she felt about this because her input was valued, but mostly Hermione was sorry to have caused so much trouble for them, and hoped it wouldn't sour anyone on her. If anyone thought that was going to fix things entirely, though, then Hermione was sorry to disappoint them. The French students disliked her as much as anyone else, or maybe more, because her proficiency in the language was offensive to them. And the carriage ride confirmed that a scholastic transition and a few months of summer vacation would not be enough to change attitudes that had settled like a sickly sweet treacle. Hermione let them get their barbs in, because five hundred meters above the ground was too high to retrieve tossed textbooks. The carriage was beautiful, and the flight was like a dream, and she could endure whatever they threw at her. Beaubaton only lasted eight years, and then she could leave all of this behind. Hermione could survive until then. Her carriage landed with the softness of a feather. One by one the carriages were called upon, and one by one their occupants filed out and stood shoulder to shoulder while the headmistress marched down the field for inspection. As Madame Maxime moved down the line, there were some students whom she reprimanded, and others who were peeled out and sent away. And Hermione went through a mental litany of every courtesy she could remember learning. Like the others, she had spent time with an auto-hexer on her wrist and gotten a painful jolt whenever she slouched, loafed, or let her hands fall below her waist when she was sitting. And the idea that she might fail, now and here, was more dreadful than even the auto-hexer's most critical rebukes. Finally, the headmistress reached her. Hermione stiffened her back, swallowed, and tried not to let the jitters break her stance. Madame Maxime's eyes flitted back and forth, from Hermione to the carriage, to Hermione again. There was a period of silent examination, and then the headmistress pointed with two fingers at the entrance. Through the chastetony, she said. Then make your way to the jasper on your left. Hermione nodded, and, heart sinking below her stomach, proceeded in the direction which had been pointed out for her, following after the other students who had been removed. Behind her, Hermione could hear Madame Maxime talk to another student, 
but it hardly mattered to whom or about what. At least she had not been put back on the carriage. Whatever her error had been, perhaps it could be rectified. Hermione had no way of knowing it, but even if McGonagall had been able to do little to help her at École de Flamel, an inability to act was not idleness. McGonagall had prepared for her arrival at Beaubaton. The Chalcedony, which was a solid slab of its namesake gemstone, swung open at Hermione's approach. The walls and floor of the chamber beyond it were made of polished speculum, so that Hermione saw herself, and saw herself reflected infinitely on nearly every surface. But the sound of her footsteps was swallowed up almost before the noise was made, and she felt almost as though she were a ghost. Not even the wandering chickens could break the silence. There were other doors and other paths, but Hermione continued to the atrium until she reached the jasper door, which opened for her as the Chalcedony had. The room behind it was not nearly as large as the atrium, but there was still enough room for the fifty or sixty students inside. Almost all of them were years older than Hermione herself, and she started to wonder whether there might have been a mistake. Maybe there was another Jasper, or she had heard wrong or misidentified the door, but then she recognized that there were a handful of younger students here as well, some of whom she even recognized. "'Mademoiselle Granger?' someone called, her voice ringing out like a crystal bell, and Hermione re-stiffened again as all her worries returned. Nevertheless, determined to meet whatever was coming to her, Hermione pressed on in the direction of the voice. Around her students sat in pairs or trios on a scattering of canopy sofas, and from out of their midst arose two particular students, one black-haired and bright-eyed, stocky, sharp-nosed, and the other like a beam of moonlight walking. "'How are you, Mademoiselle Granger?' asked the latter who, despite her height, was noticeably younger by a few years. The truth didn't matter here, and there was only one polite response. "'I am well enough,' Hermione said, and she made what she hoped was a passable curtsy. "'And how are you?' The girls exchanged a glance with each other before the younger one replied, "'Enough of the catharsis. We are friends, or will it be?' Her hair didn't so much hang from her head as flow— like silvery water, and her voice was melodious even when she spoke straightly. I, um, I... There was nothing in any of Plumondon's etiquette classes about this, and she was still worried about the consequences of acting wrongly. Every year, a few of us are given my great honor. The opportunity to select one of you to take under our wings. We may pick whomever we like, for whatever reason. And there is a bond between us, between mentor and protégé. So you see, we are friends already, even if you don't know it yet, and there is no need for formalities between us. Who are you? I'm Fleur de la Cour, she answered. Then with a flick of her thumb to the girl beside her, she continued. And this is Sabrina Saturnier, my own mentor, your grand mentor, if you will. And you pick me? I couldn't have been a first choice, she thought. And something of that must have shown in her expression, because Fleur continued, I would take no one else. I insisted that it be you. Why? Fleur shrugged and flashed a smile. You are English, no? You know my own language as well as I do, but I cannot say likewise for myself. But it is a useful language, and I would like to address this shortcoming. Is that sufficient to allay your interrogations? I will teach you all that a mentor must teach a protégé, and in return you will, how do you say, apprehend my English. 
It's teach English, miss, said Hermione quickly, who might have been browbeaten but had not yet ceased to be herself. She frowned and shrank and began to utter apologies. But Fleur shook her index finger. I will have none of that. I thank you for the collection. Later Hermione would have a little bit of tact instructed back into her, but this was not a time for lessons on manners, or what passed for manners among those who preferred submission, but rather competence, even if it came at the cost of a little politeness. It was not too disappointing to learn that Fleur was only interested in English lessons. At least Fleur found her useful for something, and this wasn't always set up for a terrible prank. Hermione had known false friends before at Petitbault. The state of the relationship was not to last, however. Only an hour later, Hermione and her newly minted mentor were at dinner. And though Hermione tried to maneuver her way from anyone she recognized, it is hard to totally avoid someone who is making maneuvers of their own between the second and third courses. Honorine de la Housse, one of the more persistent of Hermione's bullies, walked near her while going between tables and not quite accidentally tripped into her, spilling a tray of burgundy mustard and almond syrup all over her back. De la Housse was quick with her apologies and quick with her napkin, just as Fleur was quick with a linen laundering charm, but she lingered long enough for a spiteful whisper. De Lose couldn't have known that Hermione was already acquainted with someone who could clean the mustard and syrup off the back of her uniform, and the napkin would hardly have done a good job. But she rather suspected that, for De Lose, the real point had been to get close enough for another insult. Still, it was only eight years. Hermione had already survived four. She was nearly to the halfway point from that perspective. Endure and survive. This time, however, there was a fleur de la cour. I almost heard what she said, Fleur said, her voice lilting strangely. Hermione gave a non-committal nod and returns to her boulebes, but Fleur didn't let the matter drop. You have dealt with them before, I can tell that much. What is the matter? What do they do? She pushed. They call me, Hermione began, and then she trailed into mumbling that even she could not understand. I did not hear that, Fleur replied and the steadiness of her gaze made clear that she expected to know. "'They call me... Gadamet,' she said, her voice steady but quiet. Fleur didn't raise an eyebrow or sigh in exasperation or any of the other things that Hermione expected her to do. She held her gaze, and her face grew ever more stern, and her eyes blazed with fire. "'It doubts the way them say it, no?' Then, without waiting for an answer, Fleur leaned down so that her eyes were level with Hermione's and continued. It was the greatest lesson that your mentor can give. Hold your head high. No matter what axes and arrows they fling at you, they despised me, too. Because I stand out. Because my grandmother was not human. Because I did not drop down to lick their boots. But when they tell me to dance, like I am something that belonged to them, then we dance. As duelists, Fleur paused for a moment before she continued. They despise you, and that is something you can never control, but you can control your response. If they call you Kadamit, then own it. Wear it as a badge of honor. If it does not hurt you, then they cannot wield it against you, and you will know that not even two hundred sniping children can make you hang your head low. Protégé meant more than one who was mentored. It came from protégé, to protect. And what the professors of Petit Beau failed to do, Fleur accomplished in spades. 
There was hardly a moment outside classes that the two were not together. Hermione, whose intellectual reach oft exceeded her grasp, was a perennial guest among Fleur's studymates, who never begrudged her inability to comprehend fourth-year material, and were ever delighted by her insistence on trying. Fleur's friends became Hermione's friends. Trois-Mazé, who knew every magical plant from A to F, but had gotten bored of the encyclopedia after Grand Défeu. Samara Annel, who was practically an authority on wizarding pulp literature, and others. And it hardly mattered that she was still an outcast among her peers when she had found acceptance among her elders, who seemed so immeasurably wise for all that they were just three years older than her. Almost the entire year went by before Hermione realized the extent to which Fleur was shielding her, and more months passed before she understood what else had been done on her behalf. How Fleur had hounded other mentors to keep their own protégés in line, had fought seating arrangements that placed Hermione near her tormentors, had nearly hexed professors who, in Fleur's judgment, overlooked or even encouraged a little bullying. To her young charge, Fleur was the warmth of a bright summer's day, but she could just as easily be a wintry hailstorm. Vila were not all beauty and elegance. They ate men's livers in Korea and tore apart carouses in Grecian bacchanals, and Fleur's veins ran hot with the fierceness of her grandmother's blood. Hermione did not merely endure and survive. She flourished, just as McGonagall had hoped and Fleur had promised. It was in her second year that Hermione really comprehended the driving principle of academic life among older students, the specialty of interest, or SI. From their fourth year on, it was a student's SI and not their language which determined where they slept, which classes they could drop, and which electives were mandatory and even when the refectory was open for them. As Fleur's protégé, Hermione could accompany her mentor regardless of her own schedule, but this was why Sabrina only ate with them on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Friday mornings. The arithmetic specialists, who counted Fleur among their number, had a lounge to themselves. They called it Place du Parallel, or the Anglicite, though in point of fact its gemstone door was red barrel, not Anglicite. And now that Fleur had reached her second year in the program, she had earned access to the lounge, and, more importantly, its trove of fresh pastries and comfortable sofas. Hermione, too, got access by dint of her mentorship, and if anyone had an objection to an Anglais and Anglicite, Fleur made sure that none of them voiced it. She learned many new words that year, and only a fraction were wizard swears. Then again, a small fraction of a very large number can still be large enough. The colorfulness of Hermione's multilingual vocabulary had surely not been among McGonagall's hopes, but Fleur had made no promises there. Hermione's third year brought plans for the future. It was no surprise when Hermione learned she would have the opportunity to mentor a student, and it was only expected that Fleur would be there for the first couple of years, just as Fleur was assisted by Sabrina and Sabrina by Baptiste Lestrange, a Loire-Mère graduate who had specialized in magical law and rhetoric, Loire-Magique et rhetorique and gotten hired on by the Secretariat for Foreign Affairs. Lestrange had been able to stop by for lunch a couple of times last year while ferrying correspondence between his bosses and the headmistress, an unusual but not unwelcome surprise. Mentors were never assigned to a specific student. They were given options, thin folders that contained grades and family records and teacher evaluations, and it was a prospective mentor's right to choose whomever they would, or even withdraw entirely if they found that nobody was to their liking. Sitting at the fireplace at Anglicite, Hermione spread files around her in loose piles, looking for the outcasts and library brats, an incoming child who needed the same safeguarding she had been given. 
Then came news of the Triwizard Tournament. Lestrange told them about it first, probably against protocol, but soon the whole school knew. And Hermione found herself at an unexpected crossroads. It was possible, though not a sure thing, that she could still mentor someone in the year thereafter. They wouldn't be from this incoming batch, and it would leave her just one year before Fleur graduated, and she took on the task all on her own. But it wouldn't be mentorship how she'd imagined it without Fleur, and she could see how Fleur yearned to attend the tournament, while Hermione herself desired to see Britain again, a dream she had never thought would be realized. In the end, Hermione set aside her files and pushed back her thoughts of mentorship for a year, and applied to join the delegation to Britain. "'I know that I am young,' And I know that this may impact my studies, Hermione wrote. But Britain was my home before France, and for as long a time, I'd like to see it. Madame Maxime called her in to reject Hermione's entreaty in person. She did it as softly as she could, with understanding for the uniqueness of Hermione's position, but there was danger across the channel. And she would not let Hermione walk blindly into the lion's den. If it were up to me, Maxime said, there will be no tournament at all. Not now, not so soon. It was hard not to resent Fleur's success in joining the delegation, but Hermione managed to push down her bitterness anyway. Fleur would return next year, and Hermione would pay forward what had been done for her, with her own mentor at her side. But Fleur would only have this one opportunity. In the face of everything that Fleur had invested in her mentorship, Hermione could not begrudge her this. Hermione had encouraged Fleur to apply from the beginning, and though she regarded the matter with envy, she never regretted that encouragement. Rather than dwell on the matter, Hermione threw herself into studies and into plans of another nature, where mentorship had been deferred and homesickness was deferred, academic excellence, the oldest of Hermione's friends, could still be there for her. "'Good morning, Professor,' she said brightly, in English, because they always used English when they were alone like this. It was just another way of talking for Hermione, who could flip between English and French without skipping a beat, but she could tell that McGonagall found it easier. It felt a little like home, too. You wanted to see my study proposal? McGonagall frowned, but the expression passed quickly. More than that, but let's see what you have. It may be the easiest part of my day. Hermione passed a roll of parchment to McGonagall, who untied the gold and scarlet ribbon and laid the parchment flat against her desk. McGonagall stared at the paper for a long time before she looked up again at Hermione. There are eleven courses on here. Yes, Hermione agreed. It was true after all, and not necessarily bad, even if the professor's tone was a little worrisome. Should she have written a more detailed proposal? The students are permitted to take a maximum of ten? Yes, Hermione agreed once more. Someone else might lose heart at McGonagall's tired expression, but they were still talking fact, so this was good, really. It was all a dance, and the next step was Hermione's. But I can't take an eleventh with the professor's permission. McGonagall returned her gaze to the parchment. She held it there for a long time, as if the list might lose one class if she stared hard enough, then looked up again at Hermione. I cannot in good conscience permit you to take eleven classes. Why not? Other students have gotten dispensation before. Other students, McGonagall said, are not trying to earn five SIs. It is unwise to pursue even four, in my opinion. I can't prevent you from doing that. But I don't have to give you permission to take an even greater burden, and I can assure you that there is not a single professor here who would. 
Of course I won't be that heavy, Professor. It isn't as though I'll be a complete novice. I've been studying Greek and Latin already, you know, during breaks. I do know. And, and, and magical history. Well, I've probably read half of my books for that class already. And really, I admit that Mermish is utterly unlike French or Latin or anything else. But I really do think I could handle it, and it is necessary for interbeing relations. McGonagall's eyes footed back down to the parchment. And visual art? That's required for the magical culture, S.I., Hermione explained. I'm aware, replied McGonagall. I can see the logic behind your other choices. Ambitious but not impossible. And they'll leave you well suited for a political career. But I'd never thought you wanted for a seamstress or an art gallery. Well, no, those two are just for the fifth S.I., Hermione admitted. How very shocking, McGonagall said, though she didn't sound very shocked. But you see, nobody's ever had five before. Not even Adele Dazim, and she was approved for it in 1832. And then suffered a nervous breakdown in her seventh year. Why are you so intent on destroying yourself? Because I'll succeed. Because it won't destroy me. McGonagall sighed. You're a singular girl for being the only British muggle-born to attend Beaubaton for many decades, and you will, for better or worse, always be a British muggle-born, even if you attain what has never before been attained, and which remains unattainable for good reason. I might remind you, we're teachers, not fools. I know. Hermione shut her eyes. I know that. She opened them. I'll never stop being what I am. But I want to be all that I can be, too. McGonagall sighed and retrieved an envelope. It was thick and heavy and yellowish, and it sat there in her hands for a little while before she looked back at Hermione. There is another matter which will perhaps make all this moot. Your earlier request to attend the Beaubaton delegation for the Triwizard Tournament has been reevaluated and accepted she said, as if it took great effort to force the words out. McGonagall slid the envelope across the desk, and Hermione took it up with two hands that almost weren't shaking at all. Slowly, with care, she took up a proffered letter opener and slid it across, and there it was, in flowing green ink. Hello, Miss Granger, from the Keeper of the Seers of France, Mr. Laurent October. It has been my honor to intercede on your behalf on the matter of your visit to Britain, being a product of the French soil and having scarcely left it for any period. I can only imagine the sense of displacement. It went on like that for more than a few inches. Hermione looked up, her face brighter than any Lumos. This is it, I'm really going! Then the wheels of her brain began to turn, and her smile fell apart at the edges, collapsing slowly into a frown. Madame Maxime said it wasn't to be done, that I was too young. Why would... why would the wrong October get involved in this? Politics, McGonagall said, with no small amount of venom. There will be no end of the photographs for Laloon, I am sure. October was in the Secretariat for Foreign Affairs before, and I'm sure that he'd like them to... Hermione was paying only a little attention to what McGonagall said. Behind the letter from October were two more sheets of parchment in a different shade of ink and someone else's handwriting. Have you... I mean... Do you... She held up the parchment and turned it around for McGonagall to see. I am aware, McGonagall admitted. It was a class list for Hogwarts. 
because of course Hermione would be taking classes at Hogwarts if she were in Britain for the tournament. You will, however, have to abandon this dream of excessive curriculars, McGonagall added. She looked hopeful, and Hermione was unsure whether it was because the SI question had been settled or because she thought that issue might dissuade Hermione from going. It was a difficult thing, she had to admit. The courses hardly look like anything we're learning here, Hermione said. There's an elective on dueling, of all things. And what's the difference between that and... Hermione checked it again. Martial magic? Oh, there it was on the third sheet. Ceremony, style, the niceties. Martial magic was just hurting people and keeping from getting hurt. Hardly anything is the same. I can't take alchemy according to this. But above dueling there in stark ink were the dark arts. Hermione had to read it twice just to make sure she had read it correctly. A horizontal line ran through the first few letters. As if October or his secretary had gone to cross out the class and then thought better of it. Curious. They restrict alchemy to sixth years. The approach is different at Hogwarts, McGonagall said. No doubt unaware of what Hermione had seen. Still, we have already handled this for the other student members of the delegation, and we have determined where substitutions can be made, if I may. Hermione laid the second sheet down on the desk, and McGonagall flattened it out with a wand jab. Astronomy for astronomy, of course, and arithmancy for arithmancy. They are taught by Professor Sinestra and Vector, respectively, whom I knew well when I taught at Hogwarts, and they will be more than suitable. Vector may even be superior to anything you will find here, McGonagall said, speaking the last part in the stage whisper. Her finger drifted across the page. If you wish to pursue interbeing relations, then take ghoul studies and werewolf studies in lieu of both that course and magical being studies for this year. It will be unorthodox, and you will have to catch up in some areas after the fact, but I expect you will be up to the job. There is no equivalent to the language courses Hogwarts was and remains woefully deficient in this regard, but the headmistress will handle some tutoring, and the rest will be handled by correspondence and with mutual support from some of your fellow students. There's nothing here that looks like it could replace non-magical studies, Hermione observed. I have been told that Hogwarts no longer offers anything like that, McGonagall answered crisply, her lips thin. And you'll be catching up on too many other things to convince Professor Favre to take you on when you return. If you go to Hogwarts, then that is it for non-magical studies. That left her with three SIs, then. Interbeing relations, arithmancy, and the law mayor. But... They offer potions and transfiguration. I can take those, and I can study alchemy by correspondence. Professor Fair won't mind. And that would make for four SIs once she formally started alchemy. If an eleventh course were approved for you, it will. Just you wait, Hermione assured her. And she would study extra material this year, too, she decided. Hermione could handle more when she got back, and she would prove it. McGonagall looked like she was about to have warrants with Fair on that matter then sighed and moved on. Very well. Lucius Malfoy, the potions professor, is not trustworthy. He, more than anyone, is the reason why we lost the war. But Martinius Crouch, I don't know why he's teaching transfiguration, but he was on our side. And so was his son, before Riddle killed the boy. Hermione tried to keep from looking away. I understand. Then... You won't be going, will you? McGonagall shook her head. I would like to see Scotland again, even knowing who rules there. 
but they would more than likely arrest me as soon as I arrived. You, however, have done nothing wrong in their eyes, and the French government has secured a guarantee that you be treated as any other member of the delegation. This was real. She was going. Who had done it? Had Baptiste secured this for her? It hardly mattered. Hermione would send him carnations regardless. She surely owed him for something. She was going to see Britain again. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisidae. The music is Amon Ra by Day's Witch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.